Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. Hope you had a great holiday weekend. A lot of football play. The playoff picture is set. We have 19 Bulldogs participating in the NFL playoffs. College football is done with the exception of one game. That'll take place a week from today. Is Alabama will play Ohio State in the national championship game. I know many of you are like, I am so sick and tired of Alabama winning. I think if there is any justice in life that Alabama will beat Ohio State uh, after Ohio State and the Pac-10, excuse me, the Big Ten, have manipulated the in-conference rules multiple times to protect Ohio State. And you know what? It's their conference. They can do what they want. But I think a lot of people look at all that with some scrutiny and say, you know what? This isn't right, but you can't take anything away from Ohio State. They're a very talented team. They handled business against Clemson. This was not one of the better Clemson teams, even though they were very, very good. They didn't have the weapons around Trevor Lawrence. And to be honest with you, despite what some other people may suggest, I think Clemson's run is about to end. Yeah, they had Deshaun Watson and they got Trevor Lawrence. I really believe... Clemson will still be a great team. I don't know that they're a national championship program kind of moving forward. I believe that heyday is, has come and gone. And, yes, I do understand the level to which they're recruiting, but with Georgia and others uh, kind of recruiting and elevating their recruiting status, I think it's going to be difficult to maintain that level of success. And you and I both know Trevor Lawrence is really a uh, once-in-a-generation type player. We could say the same about Deshaun Watson, who was an absolute phenom, at Clemson, 
and uh, really, you know, really put Clemson back on the map. And then Trevor Lawrence, you know, of course, comes in behind him, behind him, and um, kind of keeps them right there in the mix of the national championship picture. But I do believe that that run is uh, coming to an end. Now, a lot of people with their hot takes about Alabama have looked awfully silly over the years. But I think Dabo Sweeney has probably, um, you know, maybe squeezed as much as he can get out of that turnip. So we'll see how things progress. But uh, Mississippi State, as you guys are well aware, win the bowl game. And uh, now we're preparing for an offseason that uh, will have a lot more optimism than we had a month ago. You, know, you end the year on a two-game winning streak, and you feel like that you found a little bit of your identity. Now you need an offseason to kind of get these guys prepared to kind of move forward. Let's be honest. Most of us did not expect Emmanuel Forbes to have the year he had. People forget he was not the starter the first couple of games. Asias Furge had a couple of busts, and then uh, next thing you know, uh, you know, Forbes is out there making things happen. Three pick sixes on the year, five interceptions, an exceptional year for him. We didn't know that Will Rogers would ultimately be the starter for Mississippi State. We all expected K.J. Costello to lead us into a uh, strong bowl season. K.J. gets hurt against Alabama, and we, we never see him again until senior day, and uh, you know that the, the results were not good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that many of you guys said early on is like, hey, let's just play the young guys, get some experience. This, this year doesn't really count anyway. But I think they made it count as best they could. I believe most people, probably the most optimistic Bulldog fans, thought we'd go 5-5 five and five this year in the regular season. Some said maybe 4-6. and six. We end up going 3-7, and seven, so we're a little bit behind schedule in that respect. But when you look at all the things that happened, losing Colin Hill, losing K.J. Costello, having basically a roster purge midseason – and then battling through all the COVID-related issues and going playing a couple ball games with uh, less than 50 scholarship players, you know, I, I think we can feel like that we've kind of maybe righted the ship a little bit. Now it's time for us to get back to winning football games and, and having winning, winning seasons. Because as much as we like to, uh, to kind of chide the Ole Miss folks about having five consecutive non-winning seasons, we've had two in a row, and we've got to reverse the trend. That's not who we are. We need that to be an Ole Miss thing. And so we got to get back on the right side of winning. And, uh, you know, had we, had we played, you know, four non-conference games this year, probably win three or four of those. You know, I don't know if we could have won at NC State. They proved to be a pretty good team. They're not a great team, but a pretty good team. And, uh, you know, who knows? But, uh, you know, let's say you win three conference games and you win three non-conference games, you're six and six. You win the bowl game, you're seven and six. You're back on the winning side of things. And we all feel a little bit better about life. But it's a season that uh, was disappointing in many respects, but it is now behind us. And we did beat two winning teams to close it all out, Missouri and, um, you know, Tulsa. I'm not going to get into all the uh, post-game festivities again, but I, I thought we won a very physical ball game. Tulsa's very veteran team came out, tried to push us around a little bit. We pushed right back. And considering the youth we have on this roster, I think that says a lot. Now, we'll wait and see what happens with seniors. We do expect Fred Peters and C.J. Morgan to be back. I do not expect Kobe Jones to be back. Errol Thompson still deciding. I'm told he'll get his NFL draft feedback before making a final decision. Osiris Mitchell also could be back. We'll see how things progress there. But uh, Marquis Spencer is another one that, uh, you know, he got hurt and uh, did not return after his injury 
and there is some discussion that you know he might not be 100% for these pre-draft workouts, and so he might consider coming back. That would be huge for Mississippi State if he did. A lot of decisions left to be made. Lots. I don't think there's any question about that. There's a lot of things that have to happen between you know, now in the offseason before we kind of know what's, what's going on. So that's the big question everybody asks us. Hey, Steve, what seniors are coming back? And at this point, there's only been a few decisions made. So you just got to hang in there with us. Another place you can hang in there is Bulldog Burger Company. Longtime sponsors of this show, man. And uh, listen, you guys tweet me every now and again and say, hey, we, we're all going to be better looking because we went and had the spring rolls. And you're right. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go by, have a great restaurant quality hamburger. Always get the spring rolls. No meal is complete until you open up with the spring rolls. And then while you're there, perhaps uh, cash in on the opportunity to get that chocolate shake to go. How cool is that? Not a lot of places you can get a dessert to go that you can actually eat or drink in the car on the way home. Bulldog Burger Company, another great location to kind of check in for your tailgating needs. You know, if you're not able to get tickets for ball games and you just want to go congregate with other football fans, no better place to do it than Bulldog Burger Company. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's take a quick look back at uh, the bowl games. And listen, it's going to be a very SEC show today. I'm going to talk to you guys about some things that I have learned uh, today about potential transfers and all that sort of stuff. And uh you know, is it time for us to scrap the East and Western divisions in college football in the SEC? I think there is some. Um, I think there is something to that. I think that is something worth exploring, and we're going to talk a lot about that later in the show. So, just looking back at the uh, the bowl picture for the SEC, we go six and two as a league. Of course, the uh, Iowa-Missouri game canceled, TCU-Arkansas game canceled, and then, uh, of course, South Carolina opts out of their ball game, and so that game canceled too down at the St. Petersburg Bowl. So those three games were not played. Oklahoma uh, beats Florida and Dan Mullen by a familiar score of 55-20. to I don't know what most people expected in that ball game. You know, it's, you know, Florida – down several offensive playmakers and uh, going up against a, a high-powered offense like the Sooners. I thought that Florida could make a game of it at full strength, but when all these guys started opting out, and you and I both know what was going to happen, Oklahoma was going to be able to score. Florida was not going to be able to score, and uh, they did not. Scored a late touchdown there to kind of make it look a little more respectable. But that ball game was essentially over at the half. thought Oklahoma did a great job showing some killer instinct there. Uh, Georgia come from behind winners over Cincinnati. That's a 24-21 final, and they score 14 points in the fourth quarter uh, to win the ballgame. Cincinnati, of course, champions of the AAC. They beat Tulsa in the AAC championship game. Uh, but, yeah, a, a great, great, great ball game uh, there between uh, Georgia and Cincinnati. Teams that were ranked ninth and eighth, so very evenly matched game there. But uh, good on Georgia for, uh, for winning the ball game. I guess that's a Chick-fil-A peach, uh, peach Bowl right there in Atlanta. Northwestern takes down Auburn 35-19. Again, not a big surprise. Northwestern comes out early, jumps on them. It's 14-6 at the half. And then they kind of put it away there in the second half. You know, Fitzgerald's a guy that, uh, you know, he gets his guys up to play. We know from experience that Northwestern team is always kind of a rugged team and Auburn playing with an interim coach. 
Uh, I don't know if you saw this too. Former Mississippi State football signee Court Sandberg in the NCAA transfer portal. Played minor league baseball, signs on at Auburn, doesn't win, and um, doesn't win the job. Bo Nix, the legacy guy, dies. And now you've got a new coaching staff coming in, but Cord decides to make a move and uh, and get moving. Alabama takes down Notre Dame 31-14. Probably should have been a lot worse. Alabama, much better team than Notre Dame. And it's listen, it's almost become comical that Notre Dame continues to get into the playoffs. And that's the thing, too. I saw a tweet earlier today. I don't remember who tweeted it out, so I apologize if it's yours and I'm stealing your information. But, you know, the a- ACC gets two teams into – the FBS playoff, and then they go 0-6 in bowl games, and uh, nobody, you know, really says a word about it. But if we get two SEC teams in, then the, the league is always criticized for, oh, well, they manipulated a schedule. They're doing everything they can to protect their two teams. And then Alabama's probably going to win the whole shooting match again anyway. NC State and Kentucky proved to be a really good game. And uh, Kentucky seemed to have had control of this thing at the half, 13 nothing. I don't know if they manage a clock really well there uh, in the second quarter, but 13 nothing, and then they have to kind of scrap and fight there in the final fourth and uh, win the ball game 23-21. It was uh, very much a grinded-out type game, and uh, listen, Coach Stoops and his guys uh, put together a 5-6 and six year, 4-6 and six in the league this year, but they win the ball game. So, again, you know, we had all these losing teams in the bowl picture, and a lot of people were very critical of those selections, even though the, you know, the rules were the rules when we all got ready to go. And then here is another losing team from the SEC beats a winning team from the ACC. NC State 8-4 and four this year. Uh, they entered the, the – I guess, is that right? Maybe it was 7-3. and three. Yeah, or, or maybe 7-4. and four. I don't know. But uh, they were a winning team, and they were ranked in the top 25, and Kentucky wins the ball game. Uh, Ole Miss beats Indiana. And a lot of people, when these ball pairings were announced, said, oh, Indiana would steamroll Ole Miss. They don't. I really thought it was a pretty good ball game, uh, despite the fact that Indiana was up without their starting quarterback. But to be fair, Ole Miss was out a lot of their own offensive weapons, too. Elijah Moore, of course, is a difference maker. Uh, he didn't play. I thought Matt Corral won the ball ballgame uh, for, for Ole Miss. Uh, 342 yards passing. They did kind of break down at times, but when the game was on the line late, the Ole Miss defense stood up. And that was the thing, too, when they missed that extra point, I think everybody said, oh, here it is. Here it is. Four minutes to go. Indiana marched down and score, kick an extra point, and win the game. But um, they don't. Even though they got out there across midfield, Ole Miss defense stood tall. And that is a historically bad defense. Like every single year, you know, we always have some state fans that come out and say, oh, yeah, Ole Miss defense will be better next year. But it never is. Uh, it never is. And then you've got players opting out now. And so, you know, again, we'll see what happens. A&M finishes the year 9-1, and one, one of the better years in college football history for the Texas A&M Aggies. 9-1, their long loss is the number one Alabama. They beat North Carolina 41-27. Kellen Mond, 232 yards. And, uh, you know, we'll see how things progress there in College Station. I'm sure there will be some of those guys that come back. But here's the deal, you know, old wins in this league in every sport. And that's what A&M kind of benefited from. They had the most experienced roster in the Southeastern Conference. And then they played like it. They did. And, um, you know, some could argue they probably should have been in the playoffs. I don't think there was a good fourth option, whether it be A&M or Notre Dame or whoever. I just – I don't think that that's uh, – I don't think there's a big difference between them. Now, if I had to call it, I think A&M probably beats Notre Dame. 
but I think it's a close ball game. But uh, that's the ball picture, and uh, as you guys know, it's all over and done with. And of course, our uh, you know our two losses, you know, respectable. I mean, it's not like uh, you know Auburn went out there and they they very easily could have just opted out of the bowl game. They didn't. They went ahead and played, despite the fact that they don't have a – it's kind of like we were in the uh, Gator Bowl a couple of years ago. We went and played Lamar Jackson. We won the game. Same thing can be said for Florida. You know, the, they were beneath the 53-man threshold, but they wanted to go play the game. And while they did not have a good showing, I commend Florida for going and playing the game. And, again, I think in hindsight, when you look at what the SEC has done, probably one of the smartest things they did was do conference-only football. I know some people have said, well, you know, well, maybe we need to stick to this 10-game schedule. Maybe we need to go to a nine-game schedule. I don't know that I agree with that. I think we at Mississippi State need those four non-conference games to ensure that we have seven home games because we need the revenue. But also, too, I think we need, you know, probably three or four of those non-conference games to ensure that we get into a bowl somewhere. That's just the reality of life. You know, and people say, well, you know, Alabama only has to play eight conference games. You know what, you know, we only have to play eight, too. And so – I'm okay with that. I don't think there's enough wrong with the current system to change it when it comes to uh, conference scheduling. I think that's probably fine, even though I do think that we should probably look at uh, tweaking things a little bit, and we'll talk about some of that later in the show. Uh, and so, and, and let's not remember, forget too, excuse me, let's not forget that, uh, you know, we had 12 SEC ball tie-ins and then, uh, you know, had these things kind of move forward. And then, you know, some teams ended up opting out. A lot of people thought, well, that'll impact us. We were kind of holding our breath a little bit and crossing our fingers that that final round of uh, COVID tests came back for Mississippi State. And, again, I go back to one of the things I said on Friday's show is we, we made it. We made it. And there were a lot of people that didn't think we'd ever play. And there were a lot of people that thought we'd have to pause play and we had to stop and reschedule a bunch of games. We did have to change a few things around. But I think it goes to show you, again, the kind of leadership we have in the SEC, and not just Greg Sankey, but our league presidents and our ADs. The people work together to find a protocol that worked. They found something that made sense. And unlike some other leagues, we didn't have uh, teams jumping on airplanes and then finding out on game day they weren't going to play. And we didn't have teams that were only going to play four and five regular season games. I mean, you know, when it was all said and done, Mississippi State played 11 games. We were originally scheduled to play 12 and hopefully get in a ball game somewhere. When it all came down with the 10-game SEC schedule, we navigate through that with a few interruptions, and then we, but we still went and played the games. And there were a couple times we could have opted out and said, you know what, we're not going to play. And it, well, we did. We went and played on the road at Georgia and Ole Miss, and uh, I think it says a lot about the young men and the leadership of this team uh, coach and player alike, that they were able to navigate this thing, go through the big roster purge, and go through all the issues they had, find a way to get this thing settled, and then you win against Missouri, send the seniors out with a victory at home, and then you go get a win in the bowl game. And that's one of the things you begin to look at. I mean, you know, you, when you look around the state, you know, Ole Miss has not been to a bowl game until this year by default, kind of like we weren't too, uh, since 15. Ole Miss a non, hasn't had a winning season since 15, and then you look at what we've done. You know, we've had some years we've won the egg and then not won the bowl game. A lot of times when we don't win the egg, we don't sell bowl tickets. This year was kind of a, uh, you know, a mulligan, I guess you could say. But we end the year winning the last two games. And that hadn't happened a lot over the course of the last few years. It's just, you know, sometimes we would win the egg and then lose the bowl game and then 
lose the egg and win the bowl game. And, and, you know, you go back 2014, as great as that year was, we lose at Ole Miss and we lose the Orange Bowl. And so it does put a bit of a damper on the season. As great as things were, we didn't end on a, on a positive note. And so now here we are. We navigate through all this nonsense, but yet we end the season on a very positive note, and that's always very encouraging to see. All right, today's top ten list brought to you by the fine folks at my bookie. If you like to have a little skin in the game, my bookie's there to help you, and we'll give you some incentive by being a loyal boneyard listener. You get some house money to play with. Go to mybookie.com and use promo code boneyard, and that'll unlock some savings for you. You can get your deposit matched up to fifty percent. So if you're going to put two hundred bucks in, they'll give you an additional hundred hours to play with. So right out of the gate, you're playing with a hundred hours on house money. There's a lot to think about. NFL playoffs are here. The NBA is back. The national championship game is here. Uh, and so there's plenty of things to kind of maybe stoke your interest a little bit and uh, perhaps making a wager. And there's no better place to do it. Quick payouts, quick end games. There's all kind of stuff going on. You can bet on just about anything from the coin toss to the outcome of a ball game. Let me encourage you again. Go to mybookie.com and use promo code BONEYARD to make that happen for yourself. Today's top 10 list is the Paul Rogers catalog. Some people need an explanation. Well, Steve, who is Paul Rogers? Well, Paul Rogers, the voice of Bad Company, also had a couple other bands that were pretty successful, including The Firm, and it all started with a band called Free. Paul Rogers, one of the best blues vocalists of our generation. I love Bad Company. Many of you do as well. Uh, my friend Scott in Baton Rouge had reached out and said, you know what, Steve, I'd love to get a bad company list. Well, here was my thought process, Scott. I said, you know what, if we do this, I'm never going to be able to work in a song from the firm. I'm never going to be able to work in a song from free. And so let's just call it the Paul Rogers list. This is the Paul Rogers top 10 list. And uh, I got, he, he was with the law and a couple other smaller bands that didn't have the same level of success. But uh, number 10 on the list is a non-bad company song. It's Radioactive by The Firm. I remember watching this on American Bandstand. That's how, that's how old I am. We used to watch American Bandstand on Saturday. The Firm, of course, a bit of a super group with Tony Franklin and uh, Jimmy Page, of course. Radioactive really kind of announced them uh, as a really solid band. Not a lot of commercial success with those two Firm albums, but this is probably uh, the best one. Then we get ready to go to a bad company. It's ready for love. That's uh, one of those great tunes. It's all you know. You can get most of the great bad company songs on Ten from Six, which is their greatest hits album. This one's certainly on there. Number eight, another one. At times in my life, this may have been my favorite bad company song, but it's Run with the Pack. Good, good vocal on this one, and uh, a really nice bass line too. Kind of sneaky good there. Number seven. Depends on what time of night it was back in the day, but uh, Moving On. Moving On might have been my favorite song. There were so many times I could hear this song, and it always seemed to find me in the right frame of mind. It's a good time and song, but it's about, uh, you know, kind of moving on with your life, and uh, it's about life on the road, really. You know, get up in the morning, get everything going, get on the road again. I'm moving on. Number six, one that I don't know that gets enough airplay. It's like that's one of the things about classic rock stations, on terrestrial radio especially. It's one of the reasons I don't listen to them is I think these program directors get lazy. I really do. And I'm a former program director, so I feel like that I can say that with, uh, you know, with some authority. But, um, you know, we just play the same two or three Bad Company songs over and over again. I don't know that Rock and Roll Fantasy gets its due on airplay. 
I think people probably forget about that one because they just want to play the same, you know, the same, the hits over and over again. But Rock and Roll Fantasy is a great tune. I hate to even call it a deep track because it was a big hit single for them. But uh, in today's generation of radio, it does not get enough airplay. Number five, a song that's been com- covered by a couple of people. And this is one of those songs, too, and Really Bad Company is one of those bands that I don't like to see messed with. You know, there's some songs and some bands, you know, people cover them, and it's cool when they do it live because I feel like they're paying tribute to them. But there are other people that kind of cover these songs, kind of pass them off as their own, and uh, this is one of them, but it's the song Bad Company. I think Bad Company is perfect as it's written, perfect as it's performed by Bad Company, but uh, again, some people have covered it. I know Five Finger Death Punch has covered it, and I hate that version. I'm not a big Five Finger fan in the first place, but I hate their version of that of that song. I, I know that a lot of you guys liked it, and it probably kind of got you into searching for Bad Company. But it's one of those songs I don't think you mess with. Number four, kind of dipping out of the Bad Company catalog for a minute, and we're going with Free, the first major hit in Paul Rogers' career. It's All Right Now. Baby, it's all right now. Great song. I can listen to this on the road or anytime I want to, and I always put a smile on my face. If I remember correctly, there was a there was a girl group in the uh, late '80s called uh, Shirley Pepsi Riley, maybe, and they covered it and actually had a top 40 hit with it. But all right now, great track. It's been again covered by a lot of different people. You go back to Free's version of it, Paul Rogers, great great vocal delivery. Now, the final three are all Bad Company songs, and I suspect that we would all agree that these are the top three Bad Company songs. We may not agree on the order, but this is my list. This is how I have them ranked. And I know right now some of you are going to start throwing things at me, and that's okay. But number three on my list is Feel Like Making Love. That, you know, that, that riff you know, that kind of intros the chorus all throughout the chorus, is, it's kind of... It's kind of synonymous with Bad Company. It's like when you think Bad Company, you think about Feel Like Making Love, and you think about the vocal delivery on that one. Number two for me, and I love the percussion on this one, but it's Can't Get Enough. And I think this is Paul Rogers at his absolute best. I think this is when Paul Rogers really had a handle on his range and what he could do, and he wrote songs that kind of fit his delivery. And I think Can't Get Enough is just one of those songs you look at and you say, you know what, this is the quintessential Bad Company track. But number one for me, and uh, one of the reasons that I love it, and and if if I had made this list a couple months ago, it might not have been number one. It might have been maybe number two or three. But I heard Paul Rogers recently tell a story about this. You know, I miss live music so much, and so I've been watching some YouTube concerts, and I saw Bad Company uh, reunion show that uh, they did for, I guess, for Axis TV. And he talked about writing this song. And uh, he said he wrote it around the time, you know, when Jimi Hendrix and everybody was passing away. And so Jimi Hendrix kind of inspired this song. And it's uh, Shooting Star. And he said it's not specifically about Hendrix. It's just about they were losing so many people in rock music. And so he wanted to kind of write that. And he said, you know, I'm a firm believer in this too, that all of these great musical and lyrical and poetry type phrasing all that is all out there in the ethos it's all out there and when he began to think about all of that kind of a window to that ethos kind of opened up 
And he said, just all of a sudden, it kind of came out of nowhere. It's, don't you know that you are a shooting star? And so he wrote this kind of in tribute to all of the rock people that had kind of passed in his, in his generation. And uh, so it's taken on some, some added meaning to me because of that, because maybe I didn't fully appreciate, you know, kind of where he was coming from. You know, of course, Shooting Star is about, you know, you know a rock singer and star that uh, has this meteoric rise to success, and then, uh, you know, the, the, the trappings of the rock life get to him. And that song could have been written about anybody. But uh, the fact that it was about Hendrix kind of made it stand out to me, and, and there were so many people you know, from that generation, that whole free love generation that we lost way, way, way too soon. I can only begin to imagine where music would be today, you know, if people like uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin had lived. You know, what, what, would, what would music look like today? As influential as they were in just sh- such a short period of time, what, what, what would have happened? You know, what would happen if John Bonham had lived and Led Zeppelin had stayed together for even longer? You know, that's the thing that I think about is where would, would we be? And I'm a firm believer there's a plan for everything. But, um, you know, I get it. And so now I hear listen to Shooting Star and it's a little more nostalgic for me when I think about all of that. That's top 10 list. And uh, here's the deal. If uh, you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. You can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. Some people hit me up on Facebook, some on the Jeans page inbox, some on uh, Instagram. Some people even hit me up on uh, Twitter. But uh, listen, you give me an idea, I may just use it. But, some, but again, like, don't ask me to do like a cowboy mouth or a widespread panic. I mean, that, that's just not my thing, okay? It's, it's not. It may be your thing. But it's not mine. But, um, you know, I've had people hit me up, ask me to do the Bee Gees and Elton John. And I think sometimes you guys are messing with me because you don't think that I can do it. You don't think that I can speak intelligently about things that maybe fall outside of uh, the box that you think I'm in. But I love all music. And uh, we're going to do some R&B later in the week. I've had a lot of response to that. Uh, People said, you know what, Steve, I'm not a rock guy, but I do like it when you do this, you can do that. And just so you guys know, our, um, our George Strait list, now number three. Number three must listen to list of the top ten list. How cool is that? Number one is Journey. Number two is Far. Number three, George Strait. So maybe we dig out some more country here in the weeks to come. Check in at our friends at Campus Bookmart. You know, you guys know Stan the Man. I mean, you do. Stan used to be Stan Ray, but now he's Stan the Man. You go by and check check out Stan the Man. Some of you have even asked to have your pictures made with Stan, which is which is great. You can go by and see the lovely, talented Susie, too. I understand she's off vacation now and back to work. Took some time off for the holidays to be with friends and family. Miss Kathy Brown is always working to find you guys the latest in Mississippi State merchandising. I have many people that have reached out to me and said, you know what, Steve, I had never been in there until you started talking about them on the show. And now it's my go-to shop. And so go by, check them out. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Bondyard listener, We'll give you a phrase to pay, which is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. So over the weekend, I guess really back towards last week, we were beginning to hear, you know, a lot of talk about this new S this NCAA transfer rule that's supposed to be coming down, that is supposed to allow the one-time transfer for football basketball and baseball to allow people immediate eligibility well 
that hadn't been finalized just yet. A lot of people are talking about it. We're expecting that to happen. I do believe it's going to pass. But there is some discussion that, you know, the SEC may not be totally on board with that. Now, what I mean by that is, is the SEC currently has a rule in place that requires a one-year residency requirement, much like the old NCAA transfer rule, for interconference transfer. So let's say for an example, let's say, let's just go back to like Jerry and Jones. Okay, so Jerry and Jones wanted to transfer to Ole Miss. It was going to have to file a waiver. Okay, so under the current proposed NCAA legislation, let's say Jerry and Jones wanted to leave state and go to Ole Miss and be eligible to play right away, well, the NCAA would kind of be on board with that if what we're hearing about proposed legislation is correct, but the SEC would still require the one-year sit-out. And so what I'm hearing is that once the NCAA legislation is finalized, then the SEC will make a decision on how they want to handle interconference transfers. Again, the rule in place now requires anybody that transfers short of a grad transfer to sit out a year. And so I understand there's not a lot of support at this time to change the rule within the league. And so that would mean that, you know, somebody, let's say if a kid wanted to transfer from Alabama, let's say they're, you know, four and five star kid, they're down the depth chart a little bit and says, you know what, I'm playing behind a future NFL guy and I need to go somewhere else to have a chance to get on the field. And I don't begrudge anybody that opportunity. I know some people kind of get in their pride a little bit and say, well, if he's not good enough to play Alabama, he's not good enough to play here. Well, you're wrong. There are some guys obviously that don't have the work ethic, but you know, now if that guy wants to leave Alabama and maybe go to Mississippi State, he'd have to sit out a year. Well, he wouldn't have to sit out a year if he went to, say, say Wake Forest or NC State. And so in some respects, that's going to put the SEC at a bit of a disadvantage because when guys can leave and go play somewhere else immediately, I think that's what I would do. You know, and if I'm getting over an injury or whatever and the redshirt year maybe helps me get back into good health, then maybe I'm willing to kind of hang in there. So the rest of that, too, is it – People say, well, it protects the Blue Bloods. And I guess to a certain extent it does because it keeps them from, you know, having their depth kind of poached out from under them, right? Because, you know, you could say, hey, listen, you, hey, you're not going to play at Alabama, Mr. Four-Star Guy, but, hey, listen, you know, we, we don't have a single guy returning as an upperclassman at your position, so why don't you come here? And, of course, all that's done through third parties because nobody wants to get hit with tampering allegations, which has really been an issue uh, this past year. But also, too, it protects play, players that play at places like Mississippi State. You don't think Emmanuel Forbes could play at Alabama? I mean, think about that for a second. You know, he came here. He's had this All-American caliber freshman year. You don't think Alabama would like to have him? You don't think LSU would like to have him? And so, you know, they can't recruit him until he's in the portal. But let's say that somebody picks up the phone and, and you know, calls, uh, you know, a youth football coach and says, hey, listen, We'd love to have the kid. If he goes in the portal, we've got a scholarship for him. You don't think those things happen. You're kidding yourself. And so it prevents a lot of poaching and tampering by having this rule in. It protects us. It also protects the depth of the programs. 
And listen, it doesn't really it doesn't really serve the SEC well to have all this infighting over kids. And I think if you put this thing together and you begin to think, okay, well, if we don't have to deal with in-conference poaching and in-conference tampering, that kind of puts us in a better situation. And so I think that's part of the issue. And so, again, none of this is final. None of this is final. The NCAA legislation has not been finalized, right? And we're not getting ready to play football again for uh, several months. And so once the NCAA legislation is passed and ratified by league presidents and university presidents around the country, then you should expect the SEC to act. But again, based on what I'm hearing now, I don't think the SEC is going to lift the one-year transfer sit-out requirement, that mandatory redshirt year. And so I don't think you're going to have – you know, players leave one school and go play for another one the next. Now, the grad transfer exemption, that's established. That doesn't change. So just like in the situation where Tyrell Shavers and Scott Lashley, even though we did not get much from that so far, you know, those exemptions would still exist. You would still be able to graduate at one SEC school and then be able to enroll at another one and be immediately eligible to play. And that legislation, I think, is good. I've said all along the uh, one-year transfer thing, it's a bit of a Pandora's box. And so I think Greg Sankey and them are probably smart, at least initially, to say, you know what, we're not on board with this. This is what we're going to do. And then you can kind of watch how see, see things progress over the next couple of years. And then if you need, need to amend your in-house rules, you can do that. So, again, nothing final just yet. We do think some things are going to come uh, here in the weeks to come, kind of finalizing that NCAA legislation, and then we'll see what the SEC does. But um, – you know, we, we have seen a lot of these things kind of break loose here in the last, um, you know, last couple of years, you know, and uh, I, I had some people tell me that, uh, you know, that you know Tennessee had some allegations of tampering. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. You know, and it's like I, I have no clue what happened with this Otis Reese thing at Georgia, and I don't understand. Thankfully for him, this is the kid transferred from Georgia to Ole Miss. Thankfully for him, this year didn't count towards his eligibility, but I don't understand why it took so long to make a decision. And I understand there was probably some things that we're not privy to, but uh, considering the year that we had, I don't, I don't know that I fully appreciate that. Uh, you know, the fact that the kid has to sit the bulk of the year and then be able to play, especially in a year that uh, that's a mulligan. But uh, there will not be – I think what you're going to see here is there's going to be basically if this one-year residency requirement stands, and it appears that it will – I don't think you're going to see a lot of NSEC conference transfers. I think it's pretty pretty safe to say that uh, that's kind of a bit of a deterrent and probably protects schools like Mississippi State more so than it protects the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. But, again, we'll see how things play out. But as of today, and I've made multiple phone calls today to try to get a handle on all this, and that's kind of where things stand, is that, you know, we're going to just kind of wait and see how things progress before the SEC makes a ruling. All right, speaking of SEC issues, you know, we've talked at time about realigning divisions. We've talked about changing the schedule rotation. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. 
And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. And that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. ...for football, and, you know, as it, as it stands right now, you've got your permanent east opponent, and you've got some things that change. And, you, and, you know, it's like one of those things I said all along is that we're all held hostage by this third Saturday in October nonsense with Alabama and Tennessee that uh, everybody has to do this so those two guys can continue to play a meaningless rivalry game that uh, Tennessee hadn't won in forever and a day. But I think there is something to it this year that uh, it is worth looking at. You know, it's like if we're gonna if we're gonna kind of toy with the possibility of having, you know, more SEC games, 
you know, maybe that uh, maybe if we do nine, I don't think we do ten, but maybe we do nine. You know, how do, how do we make that fair? Well, you know, for us, we're already playing the gauntlet. You know, we're already having to play Alabama, LSU, Auburn, and now A&M in the West, whereas other people get the benefit of playing Vanderbilt and Kentucky and South Carolina and, and Tennessee, for that matter. But let me run some numbers for you here real quick. I want to make sure you understand this. In the last decade, the last decade, let's go back to um, 2011, okay? Alabama has not lost a single game to the SEC East. Not a single game. you got to go all the way back to 2010 where Alabama lost a game to the SEC East. So as great as they've been, they're getting nothing competition-wise in the SEC East. Now, you go back and you look at uh, you know the last, say, 10 years on, against the West, Alabama's lost just eight games. Eight games. I guess, I guess it's not. I guess it's 10, it's 10 games. Yeah, 10 games against the West uh, in the last 10 years. It's, uh, it's ridiculous to even think about that. Two and nineteen, one and seventeen, and then uh, they go undefeated, of course, in sixteen. But you know, the only competition that Alabama is getting is in the West, and sometimes that's Auburn, sometimes it's LSU, at times it's been Ole Miss. But Alabama's getting nothing out of the East. Let's go over here and look at uh, let's look at what Arkansas has done. You know, looking at them, you know. The last several years, it's been rough. They're one of the only teams. They're only one of two SEC West teams that have a losing record against the uh, the East in the last decade or so. Uh, but looking at Arkansas, I mean, yeah, they had a pretty good stretch there uh, back in ten and eleven. They go three and zero, and then they're one and one, zero and two, zero and two, two and zero, and then this year they get their first win against the East in four years. They went zero and two, zero and two, zero and two, and then one and three. And let's see here, since uh, 2009, 41% winning percentage. Against the West, it's worse, 27%. Auburn, barely, barely a winning record against the East. And a lot of that's because they play Georgia, right? You know, they, they get the benefit of playing Georgia as their permanent Eastern opponent. And unlike Tennessee, Georgia's been really good. Alabama has dominated Tennessee. Auburn and Georgia have been, you know, kind of hit or miss. But uh, you look at Auburn the last few years, you know, Auburn has not had a winning record against the East, I guess, since, uh, what, 17? It's a, it's crazy to look at. And they're only 56% against the West in the last uh, decade or so. LSU against the SEC East. Lost five games. What is that? Twenty-three and five, I guess, in the last decade. Three and zero, four and zero, one and one, one and one, two and zero, two and zero, one and one. I mean, you kind of get the math here. That uh, you know, LSU is uh, dominated the East, and they still done really well against the West, but they're winning against the East at a much higher percentage. Ole Miss losing record against the East, but it hadn't always been that way. You know, and right at thirty percent against the West, Mississippi State against the East, sixty-two percent, sixty-two percent. 
38% against West. A&M, in the short time they've been in the league, 75% winning percentage against the East, 46 against the West. And so basically the point I'm making here is, is that the Western Division teams are beating each other up. And everybody, with the exception of uh, Ole Miss and Arkansas, are really beating up on the East. And let's be fair, you know, Arkansas and Ole Miss have had better days. You know, Ole Miss, of course, working to the sting of probation. Arkansas has had all kinds of problems up there. And so, you know, but at least even with that, you know, Ole Miss is right there at 500. And I think that really speaks to the weakness of the East. And think about this for a second. What if there was one year we didn't have to play either Alabama, LSU, or Auburn? And we could pick up, say, Vanderbilt or South Carolina. And so those are the things that I begin to look at. It's like, if hey, if we're going to expand the league schedule, then let's do away with the divisions. Because it's already more difficult for us being in the West and then picking up an additional conference game. And so if we're going to have to pick up a better conference game, then maybe give us a year off against one of the Blue Bloods of the SEC West. That's the only thing that makes any sense to me. I still believe that this rotation thing, you know, I still believe the best thing that happens is you move Auburn to the east and, uh, you know, that, and then let, let Tennessee and Alabama figure their thing out. I, I still don't understand why the whole conference is held hostage for that one football game that nobody cares about anymore. But let's say if you put that rotation on we talked about before, Whereas, rather than you have a permanent East opponent, let's say that you have three permanent opponents and then everybody else rotates. Let's say, so say for us, let's, so, so we would, let's say we get Alabama, Auburn, and Ole Miss. That's our three permanents, right? Let's say Ole Miss gets Mississippi State, LSU, and say Alabama, okay? And then everybody else rotates. That makes perfect sense to me. You know, and so, yeah, I know I'm locked in with Ole Miss, so I preserved the rivalry game. And so you take Alabama and say, okay, you guys get Tennessee and Auburn and then one other, pro- one other program. Let's say you get Tennessee, Auburn, and then, I don't know, Vandy or South Carolina. And so that way you preserve the rivalries of Alabama that everybody holds so dear, but yet there's a better rotation for the rest of the conference. It's just like Missouri this year. You know, Missouri's been in the league, you know, now since, what, 2010? Is that right? 2010, 2012? And they've made their first trip to Mississippi State. We went out there and played them in 15, and then they don't make the return trip until 2020. There's something wrong with that. And and look at the next time we go to the swamp. I mean, so we're going to have a graduating class that uh, won't, won't go to the swamp. How is that fair? Wouldn't it be a better experience for SEC athletes to have the opportunity in their four years to be able to play at every SEC football stadium or at least play against every SEC team? I think that makes for a better student-athlete experience. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but listen, I think there's some guys out there that would say, you know what, I would love to be able to go play in the UN Stadium. Maybe maybe my dad was a Tennessee fan. Maybe my grandfather was uh, back when Tennessee was good. But uh, how cool would it be for my family to see me have a chance to play at Neyland Stadium? Or how much fun would it be if I had a chance to go play between the hedges of Georgia? And then you're, not, you're denied that opportunity. 
because we have to preserve these rivalries. We have to preserve these games that only matter to the fan bases of the teams that are participating in them. That's the thing I think about, too, with Missouri. I mean, it's like they're in the SEC East, and what are they, the westernmost school in the, in the league? How is that fair? How is it fair that, you know, that they have an opportunity, they have to travel, and uh, just imagine the financial commitment that everybody involved fan-wise has to make to go watch Missouri play South Carolina. Watch Missouri go play Florida. And that's every other year. Whereas they could uh, maybe make a trip to Oxford once every four years. You know, make a trip to Baton Rouge once every four years. I mean, to me, that makes better sense. But when you look at this thing, there is a complete inequity in this entire SEC West East thing. And so I think if we do... If we do open this thing up and play non-conference games, which I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not in favor of. But if we do, it only makes sense that we change the divisions or we completely abolish the divisions. And, and here's the rest of that story, too. Wouldn't it make for a more competitive SEC championship game if the top two teams got to play in it? I mean, how many, team, how many times has a team from the East – stumbled into a conference championship game over maybe a one or two loss team from the West. Remember Alabama and LSU played for a national championship? You know, those are the things you begin to look at. You begin to think, okay, well, if, if the East can get in with a 5-3 and three record and then somebody on the uh, Western division with a 6-2 and two or a 7-1 uh, you know, record can't get in, how is that fair in the long term? We say, well, you know, that's, that's the rules. What's interesting, too, is um, the SEC West has won the SEC championship game 11 in the past 12 years. Let that sink in for a second. And I suspect the last time that they did was the University of Florida, right? You begin to start thinking about national championships. You know, Florida's got a couple. Three, I guess. Who else on the other side is competing regularly? Georgia, maybe. But, you know, Auburn's played for national championship and won it. Alabama has won it. LSU has won it. Texas A&M goes 9-1 this year. Probably should have been in the playoff. And then you look at the East and say, well, you know, Florida and Georgia are pretty good. And that's kind of it. And so there are some people in the East that are kind of getting by on being in the East and not playing the teams in the West. And then there are us, there are us over here like State and Ole Miss and Arkansas that are kind of, you know, working in cycles and kind of beating up on each other. Then we don't get the benefit of that easier schedule. And I don't, I'm not a guy that necessarily believes in lowering the hurdles. I believe we've got to do a better job. But when, when, it's, it's, when there's this much out of balance, I think you've got to take a serious look at it. You know, we did it in basketball, right? People say, well, it's so ridiculous. You know, we used to win the SEC West in basketball regularly under Stansberry, and then all of a sudden they decided, you know what, we're not going to do the divisions anymore. And one of the chief criticisms was, is, well, you know, Mississippi State won the West, and they're really not a great team. Their RPI is not good. They kind of benefited on the West being down this year. And, again, how many times has an SEC Eastern Division football team benefited from the East being down, and then they get to the SEC Championship game and get beat? So what's better for the conference? Do you really want to see, you know, Alabama and Missouri play? Because people forget, you know, Missouri played a couple times in the SEC championship game as soon as they got into the league. 
Or would you rather see maybe a rematch of Alabama LSU in the SEC title game? Now, one could argue, too, you know what, Steve, that probably hurts the SEC's ability to get two teams into the FBS playoff because let's say that Alabama goes undefeated and LSU's only losses to Alabama. Well, they're not going to have a rematch, and so LSU will probably be in the FBS playoff pool with their only loss being to the top-rated team. So that gives them a chance to be in the playoff, and so it hurts the league. Well, I would argue that that, that scenario unfolded this year with Texas A&M, and A&M didn't get in. So we never really know. But you and I both know this is all about eyeballs, and it's about TV ratings, and it's about, you know, being competitive. And so I want what's best for the league, and I think what's best for the league, and ideally what's best for Mississippi State, is for us to examine this schedule and try to find a way to provide more balance, make things more competitive. We have to level the playing field. We have to level the playing field. And I think there have been a lot of people in Birmingham that have said, hey, you know, it's fine the way that it is. Well, as long as it's you know, Alabama and LSU uh, and Auburn in Atlanta, I don't think there's any incentive for those guys to change. But it, wouldn't it be better for the SEC if you had Mississippi State in Atlanta every once in a while? And, and that's the thing, too. How many times do we open up the schedule we say, okay, well, this is a loss, this is a loss, this is a loss. You know, what if we open up the schedule and say, hey, well, listen, we, listen, this year we get South Carolina, and this year we get Tennessee. And so I think it's one of those things, too, where it prevents the thing from getting so stale. I mean, how many times when the SEC baseball schedule rolls out are we thinking, oh, man, listen, we get, we get to avoid Florida this year. Oh, we got Vanderbilt coming here this year. It excites you. I think it would bring a new brand of excitement to things. But uh, there will be some discussions kind of moving forward about expanding and or changing the SEC football schedule model. So be, be prepared for that. Probably going to be some discussion about that at the spring meetings. I don't think anything happens right away. But I do think that is something when they convene again in Destin that they're going to talk about this a lot, about what is best. Because there's a lot of people out there who say, hey, well, you guys played a 10-game SEC schedule. You should be playing this all the time. And there's some people in favor of it. I don't know that that benefits Mississippi State without some provisions being made to change the rotation of the schedule. That's my take on it. Speaking of positive takes, I love living in Starkville. You will too. And not just because of the fact that uh, you spent some time here in college or a lot of your great experiences at Mississippi State, uh, you know, involve wins. You can win every day by living here. Let me encourage you to call my friend Brooks Bryan. You know Brooks former Diamond Dog outfielder. He robbed a home run against the University of Washington and sent us to Omaha. When you talk to Brooks, he'll tell you all about it. You probably won't even have to mention it. Call him at 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. Well, Steve, why should I call Brooks? Well, I'll tell you why. Brooks is one of the developers of the new Portico Residential Complex here in Starkville. So many great things. Uh, available to you there. It's Listen, it's a great residential complex, new constructions right there off Garrett Road behind the Hilton Garden Inn, uh, behind uh, the Chrysler Jeep dealership. You've seen all that before. It's just over 1.1 miles from campus, easy access to both 82 and 25. The uh, 51 houses total in the development, and uh, 18 houses are pretty much ready to move in now. And then there'll be 33 more houses that'll begin here in the next few months. Houses range in size from 1,300 to 2,000 square feet and from two-bedroom, two-bath up to four-bedroom, four-bath. Portico includes a walking trail and a pavilion area. 
It's a place you can get out and make some memories with your family. And listen, if you're just needing a place, a ball game getaway, or just a place to come up here and have somewhere to stay, uh, just to be near it all, you know, you can live there year-round, or you can just have it as a weekend getaway. They're, they're happy to accommodate you. Again, call Brooks, get all the information uh, that you need right then and there. Well, thank you guys so much for all your support this year. It was a, uh, it's a wild year, and I tell you, what's crazy, too, is I look at your numbers for the Boneyard, we had a bigger year in 2020 than we did in 2019. Maybe it's because some of you guys were home. Maybe you needed something to do. Maybe you're on the road a little bit more. I don't know. Or maybe you've shared the show with friends, but I know that our listenership was up tremendously. And I was so excited last year. We did well over a million listens last year in 2019, and we grew by almost 40% in 2020. So thank you guys so much for that. And uh, we'd wrapped up the, uh, the holiday book tour. I'll, go, I'll do some things locally in the spring, you know, around some baseball weekends. We'll get out and do some stuff. Uh, but it's, it's been a different deal. I mean, you know, a lot of these alumni events aren't happening because uh, people are being careful. And um, listen, it's all good. But uh, I'm, I'm happy that 2020 is behind us. And it's, listen, it's not just so much because you know, circumstances didn't change when, when the ball dropped down at Times Square. But there's just so much negativity, and there's, there was so much craziness in 2020 that my hope is that 2021, you know, we can kind of put some of that stuff behind us. You know, we didn't have a normal football season. We weren't able to complete basketball or baseball season. And so my hope is we can do all of that. Speaking of basketball, you guys are aware we lost a couple ball games over the weekend that we shouldn't. I'm not going to sit here and uh, belabor the point and beat up coaches and players, but uh, we should have won those ball games, and I think you all know it. But... Um, you know, we'll see how things progress. I am eager to see what happens with basketball scheduling. You know, we've already had to have some games moved around. We've had some games canceled. We've had some games postponed. And with those smaller rosters, with all these protocols that are put in place, I think it is just a matter of time before we have, you know, some major stoppages in college basketball. I'll be, if, if we get 65 70% of our regular season games played, I'll be shocked. I mean, I, I think – it's one of those deals once you get into conference play and, and everybody gets around each other and there's all this contact tracing and things of that nature, I think you're going to see some stoppages. I think you should prepare for that. And listen, we get into baseball, it's going to be a little bit different because it's a bigger roster. But some of this is going to leak into baseball. And as we all kind of sat on pins and needles with football, kind of hoping for the best and kind of hoping these things worked out, it did work out. It didn't work out necessarily the way we wanted it to, but we got the season in. We'll get basketball season in too. We'll get baseball season in, too. We're going to play. I've talked to some decision makers and, and said, listen, what are the chances we don't play? Oh, no, we're going to play. They're still trying to finalize the conference schedule. We don't even have a baseball schedule yet. And until we get the conference schedule model settled, you can't go out and schedule non-conference. Now, you probably have some tentative agreements in place, but until they finalize the schedule, okay, do we play 12 SEC weekends? Do we stick with 10 SEC weekends and play four-game SEC schedule? Uh, I'm told that's probably not likely, but it is still one of the models that's being discussed. But until the SEC schedule is settled, you can't announce the full schedule. I'm told it's probably going to be a month before we have a baseball schedule. A month. We, they put out the graphic a few weeks ago that said, hey, it's 50 days away. Uh, I won't be the least bit surprised if we move it back a little bit. But it's going to be a little while before things are, are settled. And listen, you can say, well, okay, well, you know, we, we already kind of know what we're dealing with. Well, why can't we go ahead and make a decision? I think a lot of it is just trying to figure out what's fair for everybody. 
or what's fair for the majority of the teams in the SEC. You're never going to please everybody, but uh, these are difficult decisions that are being made, and the ADs are involved, the presidents are involved. And that's one of the things, too, that I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate. You know, Greg Sankey acts on the direction of the league presidents. So once the league presidents get together and kind of say, listen, this is what my concerns are, they will figure it out, and they will then go to Sankey. And, and it's contrary to, to what some of these Twitter reporters uh, you know, Greg Sankey does not rule the SEC. You know, he is the guy that's basically the commissioner to ensure that, uh, you know, fair play is exhibited within the league. But, uh, you know, again, he acts on the direction of the presidents. And so once they all agree, they'll say, okay, Greg, here's what we can all come to an agreement on. And then at that point, they'll put the schedule together. That, that's kind of how this whole thing, this thing works. It's not like Greg Sankey sitting there telling LSU and Mississippi State, okay, here's what you have to do. That's just not how it works. But uh, I'm eager to get the schedule out and kind of see what we're doing. I, I, listen, I, I miss college baseball. I really do. And as much as I love football, I, I love being able to get out on the road and I just enjoy the pace of college baseball and I enjoy covering college baseball. And and uh, we're a baseball school, and I, and I know that you guys enjoy that coverage. But uh, I'm ready to get out on the road, and I've already told Greg Campbell, who's our SID for baseball, Greg, let's go ahead and put in a standing order for uh, my road credentials. Non-conference, conference, whatever. I don't care if we're playing Mississippi College, Wesley College, the Louisiana School of Math and Science. I want to go watch Diamond Dogs play. So so that's how we'll get it all handled. But listen, now listen. thanks so much again for your support. And uh, we look forward to this spring semester and hopefully uh, watching some ball and covering some ball and uh, hopefully ending our summer in Omaha. That's the plan. We got a team good enough to get there. I just hope that uh, you know we can stay healthy and work hard and get there, and and uh, maybe have a special season. I think we've certainly got a team capable of doing just that. Well, that's going to do it for today. If you're looking for books, let me encourage you to go to alphadogsthebook.com. I had to go by and sign some personalized copies today. I guess some of you guys didn't get your copies as you wanted for Christmas, so you had to buy yourself a gift. Let me encourage you to do that. And while you're shopping for yourself, visit StarkVillains.com and order yourself some Stark Villains t-shirts and hoodies. We look forward to seeing you around campus wearing those but until next time let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.